I'm excited to start the book of Revelation with you today. We, if you're new today, we just finished going through the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And now we're transitioning into a series on the book of Revelation in the, in the New Testament. The end of the New Testament will be in Revelation for the next year or so during this series. <laughs> That's serious. I mean, he, here's this, this is the way I'm going to preach. So strap in. Here we go. And we're just going to dig... We're going we're gonna to dig through every passage of Revelation. I don't care how hard it is, how crazy it is, we're digging into it. And we're going to unfold it all so that we respond properly to the Word of God. Now, through, the, through this series of Revelation, I'm going to give you the precise meanings of every difficult passage. Every single place you see a nation referred to, like Gog and Magog and stuff, I'm going to tell you who those nations are in history and in the future. I'm going to tell you about Iran and its place in Revelation. I'm going to tell you about America, how we're in there. I'm going to show you how Hillary Rodden Clinton and also Donald Trump right there in Revelation. They're easy to identify. So we'll walk through that. We'll do everything. I'll show you the whole thing. And then through the, the, the experience of our time together in this series, at some point, I'm going to confidently announce the exact date and time of the return of Jesus. So we got a lot to look forward to. Now, the only thing that I just said that's true is that we're going to spend the next year or so in Revelation. And if I was serious about what I just said at any level outside of that one true statement, you ought to get up and run far away. So what are we really going to do with this book? I mean, this is a massive book. It's, it's terrifying to some people. Um, it, it, is, it feels overwhelming to many of us and unreachable. And, and I just want to help us understand what we're really going to do with this book because I'm convinced that Jesus Christ provided us this book of the Bible as the final word to us to give us great hope no matter what. And this is a book that the church needs to be very familiar with, particularly in this day and time. And so let me give you four foundational directives that are going to help us move through the book of Revelation. Just so you know how we're doing this and where we're going, I want to give you an introduction today to the book so you kind of get a, an idea where we're headed for the, for the next foreseeable future. All right? Foundational directive number one, the book of Revelation requires humility. You, you cannot approach this book and reap the benefits of this book if you do not approach it with humility. So I'm going to give you one simple truth here that ought to promote humility from this day forward. There is one expert on the end times. He doesn't have your name or my name. His name is God. He's the only one that's got figured out. He's the only one that understands exactly what's going to unfold. And what he's conveyed to us is conveyed in a way that we are certain by the end of reading that, we are not the expert of what's going to be happening. He and he alone is the expert. So when we approach this book of Revelation, we must approach it with humility. What we cannot do in our church family is begin to carry around end time sledgehammers. And begin having conversations about why my perspective is right and your perspective is wrong. 
I'm going to tell you what that does. It, it diverts from the whole intention of the book and gets us in a whole mess in here that was never intended to be gotten into in the church. And it causes those people are coming into the church to find out who Jesus is to wonder why in the world they'd want him. So we have got to approach this book with humility and keep embracing the reality that only one expert exists on the end times, which Revelation does address at some level. And his name is God. And we've got to come to him in humility. All right, so that's foundational directive number one. The next foundational directive is that we're going to have a method of arriving at the meaning of any given text in Revelation. I think you'll agree with me that a lot of the passages in Revelation are rather difficult. And so we're going to approach each passage with a particular method of arriving at the meaning of the passage. So let me give you some thoughts on what that method looks like. So we're going to make sure as we approach every text that we put the clear things before the difficult things. So there's a lot of difficult things in the book of Revelation, intentionally so. God's not playing a joke on us. He's not trying to make us feel stupid. Um, he is intentionally creating difficulty in the text so that we might be uh, people who gravitate towards the clear things in the text and walk away with a right response to Jesus Christ. And so what we've got to make sure we do is always put the clear before the difficult. So we'll look at the clear aspects of Scripture regarding end times, regarding the future, regarding prophecy, and regarding the person of Jesus Christ to give us understanding of those difficult areas. And where the difficult areas remain unresolved, we will allow those unresolved issues to point us back to the things that are resolved so that our response to the book of Revelation and the message of Jesus Christ is we will trust in Jesus. I'm going to go clear over difficult. And then we're going to make sure that we are careful to attach our hearts first to those things that are literal before we attach our hearts to those things that are figurative. There's a lot of figurative speech in Revelation. And some of that figurative speech is very hard to understand. If anybody here says that one of the locusts in Revelation is an Apache helicopter, um, we're going to be departing from the literal before the figurative. And so we need to be very careful when we deal with the figurative language and make sure that we are really understanding what's literally being communicated before we begin to attach meaning to the figurative. Because if we put the figurative before the literal, we're going to make a bunch of stuff up and Jesus is going to be going, what are you guys doing down there? Okay, so we want to make sure that we put the literal before the figurative and begin to see the figurative through the lens of the literal. You guys will see this um, fleshed out as we go, all right? Then the last little directive here in this idea of method to arrive to our meaning is we're going to make sure that as we walk through the book of Revelation, that the things that we can clearly understand are the things that get our most attention. So we're going to dig in, we're going to look for the, the clear things before we see the difficult, we're going to make sure we see the literal things before we see the figurative, and we're going to create this lens as we approach the book of Revelation there is something here that God wants us to understand 
that is clearer than anything else. And that will inform everything else we see. So that our response to what God's message is, is appropriate in light of the message. So that's going to be kind of our our method to arrive at our meaning as we work through the book of Revelation. Okay, foundational directive number three. We're going to be needing to be reminded that the Bible separates time essentially into two ages. This age and the age to come. So this age is the age we're living in, the age that's broken by sin, the age that's temporary. It's today and everything that happened before today, that's this age. And the age to come is the age that Jesus Christ will usher in once and for all when he comes to reign and rule as king over kings and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. That's the age to come. Now this is what's happened historically. The age to come has infiltrated this current age when Jesus Christ became a baby, was born in a manger, lived a life, and gave his life on the cross. The coming age infiltrated this age in which we live. Now here's why that happened. So we've not yet arrived in the coming age, but the coming age has creeped into this age through the person of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did in this age is he gave us a taste of the age to come. And so for three years, Jesus Christ healed every disease. He he cast out every demon. Everybody that touched Jesus, came around Jesus, that wanted to be healed, he healed them. He cast out their diseases and their demons. He performed miracle after miracle. And again and again, he was telling us, my kingdom has arrived. And I am the king of my kingdom. And it is near, and so you should prepare your heart for my kingdom. What he's essentially saying is, I'm giving you a taste of the kingdom that will come. And will completely and radically change this age. In fact, this age will disappear and a new age will be instituted that I reign and rule. So Jesus Christ came and gave us a taste of the age to come and then he stopped healing everybody. He stopped performing miracles. He just shut it all down. He said the introduction to the age to come is essentially over. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to create the bridge from this age to the age to come so that you have a way into the age to come. And he gave his life on the cross for each one of our sins. He died, he was raised again from the dead, and when he overcame sin and death, he said, if you place your faith in me as your Lord and Savior, then you, have no, you will no longer be a citizen of this age. You will now be a citizen of the age to come. And someday I will return, and I will make all things brand new, and every one of you who have trusted in me will reign and rule with me forever in the eternal age to come. He created a bridge from this age to the age to come. And the only way to cross that bridge into the age to come is to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Until Jesus returns, those who trust in Jesus Christ get to experience glimpses and tastes of the age to come. 
so that now we are the infiltration into this current age, showing everybody that there is a bridge to the age to come, and his name is Jesus Christ. You've got to keep in mind these two ages as we walk through Revelation, because Revelation is the final chapter in the passage from this age to the age to come. It's going to be awesome. All right, fourth foundational directive. We have a clear goal. We have a clear goal when we jump into this book. As I alluded to earlier, the clear goal is not for me to give you explanation of every passage in Revelation so that you can identify the cities and the personalities and the circumstances of our day and time that is written about in these pages. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. We have a clear goal in this place. Now when you walked into this room today, you walked into this room, if you knew we were going to do Revelation, with some presuppositions. I like to call them camps. There's a whole host of views on Revelation that are out there. And so I'm going to boil us down into a couple camps this morning. See where you fit in these camps. Camp number one. You walked in here and you don't know much about Revelation or the end times. You've never read the Left Behind series and you've not watched the movies and you don't plan on it. You've never picked up books about it. You never tried to study. You've never taken a class about it. You really don't know anything about the end times and what the book of Revelation is all about except that you are convinced that Jesus will return and you better be ready. So you really don't have a lot of opinions about it. But you certainly have some level of interest because you know Jesus is returning and you know you need to be ready for his return. So that's camp number one. Camp number two are those who walked in this room and you have read every book you've got your hands on. Your library is packed full of things on the apocalypse, the end times, eschatology. You know all the lingo. I mean, you can throw around words um, in the glossary of Revelation and you are very comfortable with those words. You you can talk about Abaddon and Armageddon. You can talk about the Red Dragon. You can talk about pre-trill, post-trill, historical pre-mill, all these words that everybody else is going, what in the world are they, are they speaking English anymore? And, and, but you got it all down. You know the words. You got it tapped down. And you can talk about it. You can defend it. You came in here fired up about Revelation because you have given yourself a PhD in the book. And you cannot wait until the end of every sermon so you can come up and tell me how I was wrong. I mean, you are <laughs> fired up. Fired up. Camp number two. God bless you all. Camp number two. Camp number three, you're somewhere in between those two camps. You're not sure what in the world's going on, but you're interested in this. You don't know. You have a variety of opinions. You're somewhere between camp number one and camp number two. The point is, every one of us walked in this room in a different camp when it comes to the book of Revelation. And what I want us to do today is I want us to leave here today in the same camp. You remember back in January, I asked the Lord... And I asked you all to join me in asking the Lord for a wave of unity in our church. Remember that? Here's another opportunity 
for us to experience God's grace in a wave of unity. Lord, will you put us all in the same camp today when it comes to the book of Revelation? And the camp that I'm calling camp number four is the camp that attaches to our goal. Here's our goal. It's written up there. See See Jesus, worship him. That's camp number four. I don't care what I've known before I walk into this place. I don't care how little or how much I think I know. What I want to do every single Sunday is move to camp four. I want to see Jesus as he wants me to see him. That's the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus about Jesus. So that we see Jesus as he is in this moment. Some of us are stuck on a view of Jesus that's in a manger. Some of us are stuck on a view of Jesus where he is getting beaten. And he is weak. And he is broken. Some of us have a view of Jesus as just this kind, benevolent, healer of all wrongs. Love overflowing. But what Jesus wants us to see is he wants us to see him as he is right now on the precipice of a return to bring the new age. And that's the book of Revelation. And when we see Jesus as he wants us to see him, the only proper response is to worship. To live a life of worship. I love that we represent a lot of different experiences and perspectives on this book. But what I'm praying is that every single week we will be brought together by a clear vision of Jesus. And we will be humbled to worship him. And leave a unified family of followers of Christ who have freshly seen the glory of Jesus. And I want to give you just a, an idea of the structure of Revelation so that you can kind of think about how we're working through this. What, what is this book about? It feels really big when you begin this book. And so I want to kind of just give you the structure of the book as a big picture, just real quickly. It's not going to take a long time, but I want to do it because I really want you to be reading the book. So what I don't want you to do is to say, I'm so glad he's going to explain it. And I'll understand more about it. And so I'm going to wait every week for him to come and read it to me and teach it to me. It's okay if you do that. But my preference would be is that you would be at home reading the book. And trying to see Jesus there as he can be seen. And then when you come here, you're prepared to see him with your church family. And so I hope that by giving you this idea of the structure and how to think through the book a little bit, you'll be courageous and confident to jump in there and begin reading it. Knowing we're going to walk through it together. All right, so when you think about the book of Revelation, I want you to realize the very first chapter we get a vision of Jesus. It's a setup for the rest of the book. We get a vision of who Jesus is, what he's like right now, as his glorious king, and it sets up the the experience, the pattern throughout the rest of the book. We're going to keep seeing Jesus Christ. We're going to keep seeing him, and it's going to keep evoking responses from the people and the situations throughout the book of Revelation. 
And so I want you to think about this, this front bookend as this display of who Jesus Christ is that sets up the trajectory of the rest of the book. And then think in terms of seven sets of seven. Numbers are important in Revelation, and seven is a critical number. It, it really evokes perfection. And there's seven sets of seven. That way you think about it in terms of the structure of Revelation. And so the first thing you have is seven lampstands. There is represents seven churches that have been addressed by Jesus through John. And Jesus unveils a part of who he is to the church and then basically says to the church, I want you to see who I am and who I want you to see about me and now I want, I want you to respond to me. And that's what he does, seven lampstands. And then you go into seven seals of judgment. This will begin to hear about the judgment that God is going to pour out on this age in order to bring in the age to come. And so you see those seven seals of judgment. You see seven trumpets of judgment. Again, God is bringing judgment rightfully and justly upon this age so that he might usher in the age to come. See these seven trumpets. Then you see, see seven scenes of the last days. And this is where we see some weird stuff. And we'll walk through that together. And you see these these characteristics of definitive last day scenes or events. We'll walk through that together. And then we're going to see seven bowls of wrath. Again, God's judgment being poured out on this age, bringing finality to this age. And once you see those seven bowls of wrath, then we're going to see seven judgments that bring finality to this age. So again, we're moving all the way to the place where this age ends and the age to come begins for eternity. And that's where we end up with seven promises about the age to come. And so the last part of Revelation is this incredible picture of the age to come that is meant to give us great hope in the, in the Christ who's coming to institute this age once and for all. And then the book of Revelation finishes with this quick dialogue between Jesus and John where Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And John says, come Lord Jesus. I literally cannot wait to jump into all that Revelation holds for us because of the benefit it will be in our lives. The very first part of Revelation says there is a blessing for those who read it. I'll talk about this. That's really good for me because I'm going to be reading it. And I'm going to take God as a word on that one. Real blessing for those who hear it and respond to it. We are going to be uniquely blessed as a church family, as we walk through this book, because Jesus said we would be. And I'm excited about that. Do you know one of the blessings that you can expect from the Lord as we walk through this? That no matter what difficulty you face in the days to come, and guess what? Some of you do not know today the difficulties that you will encounter in the days and weeks to come. And you will be absolutely, just like Kurt shared this morning, you will be absolutely shocked when it comes. But the book of Revelation will remind you that Jesus was already there. And he is waiting to meet you at that moment. And because of who he is right now today, 
in all his power and glory, you can trust him through any and everything you face, no matter what. And you're going to be reminded of that again and again and again. And, and I know this could probably said in every four-year cycle of our country. But doesn't it feel like this is one of those four-year cycles where we need to be reminded we can trust Jesus Christ no matter what? And, and I'm so grateful as we walk through this that no matter what happens in November and then starting in January 2017 for the next four years of chaos, no matter what happens, We can trust Jesus Christ through it all. And every week we will be reminded of that because we will see Jesus and we will worship him with our lives. You know, another benefit that I'm really excited about is, is not related to how good things are or how bad things are in the circumstances of our lives. There's no question that some of us in this room are going to experience some of the most horrible experiences we could ever imagine in the days to come. And Jesus will meet you there with the grace you need to keep trusting no matter what. And Revelation will remind you to do that. But there's just a lot of things in our life that maybe we won't classify as really good or really bad. We, we're just going through life. And I want to tell you, no matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are, there is a benefit that you can expect through the study of Revelation in your life. I mean, here's what you can expect. You can expect every single week to be given an opportunity with your church family to encounter the person of Jesus Christ in all his power, his greatness, his majesty, his promises, his faithfulness, and to respond rightly to him right here in this place. And that will radically affect your life, whether you're in good times or bad times. And I frankly want to tell you, it's what every one of us need week after week after week. We need to encounter Jesus Christ so that it revolutionizes our life every single week. Do you know, I, I really am convinced one of the worst assumptions I could make in coming here as the new pastor is the assumption that everybody that attends here is good with Jesus Christ. Saved, Christian, following Christ, all good, eternity wrapped up, secure in their salvation. That'd be the worst thing I could ever do. So don't get offended if I've assumed that you're in trouble, that your soul is in danger, that you need to hear the gospel of Jesus and you need to be assured of your salvation because you have responded rightly to Jesus now. Like, I don't want anybody in this room to be so assured about what happened 25 years ago in your life that you really can't explain anything that's happening now. In fact, if I were to ask you, when's the last time you were completely wrecked over your sin and brought low before God and crumpled to your knees in a time of prayer and said to the Lord, I am sinful. And if you don't forgive me of my sin, I cannot find my way. When's the last time you experienced repentance? If it was weeks ago or months ago or years ago, I want you to know I have not assumed you're okay. I have assumed that all of us need to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ and be brought to a place of surrender and confession and repentance before him so that our assurance is rightly in Christ and Christ alone. Do you know what will happen in your life 
if you don't regularly encounter Jesus Christ and are brought to the point of repentance on a regular basis, you will not see a need for repentance in your life. Because you will, instead of looking at Jesus and seeing just how far you are from what he intends you to be, and being brought to your knees in humility, instead of looking at Jesus and going through the difficulty of repentance, you look at people around you that you can find things to point out about them that make you feel a whole lot better about you. Well, I, I know that I'm not all together, but at least I'm not like that brother over there. He's a wreck. Praise God I'm not like him. And what we'll do is begin to compare ourselves to other people, and we compare ourselves to other people that make us feel better about ourselves. Do you know who the last person we think we need to see is? Jesus Christ. Because when we see Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how good I think I am compared to the bad people around me. When I see Jesus Christ and I'm evaluated by His holiness, I am clearly unveiled as a sinful person before a holy God in need of the grace of a great Savior and King Jesus Christ. And that's not a fun experience. But it's one we desperately need regularly. And I'm so grateful that the revelation of Jesus Christ will unveil the person of Jesus in all His holiness and His greatness so that we will see properly our own hearts and lives and be humble before Jesus Christ so we avoid evaluating ourselves on the basis of somebody else's errors and instead evaluate ourselves on the basis of Christ's holiness which puts us in a place of surrender before Christ and a level playing field to everyone else so that the person that walks off those streets out there that has never heard about the gospel is told, for the first time he or she is a sinner before God, guess what? They're going to find themselves in good company because we all know we're just the same save the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You want to see Jesus? He's given us a revelation. We get to see him. Not only will it wreck your life personally, but I'm going to tell you right now to wreck our church if you don't see Jesus regularly in your life. You know what happens in a church full of people that don't see Jesus Christ and find no need for regular pattern of repentance in their life? The people who are part of a church like that try to reverse the roles. You see the shepherds of the pastors of the church are given to the church to help the church follow Jesus. That's my commission. You make sure these people have every reason and compelling issue to follow Jesus Christ. You make sure you do everything to make sure they see me and follow me. That's the commission on my life, to pray for you, to labor for you, to preach to you that you would follow Jesus. But when the church says, we don't need to see Jesus because we're doing pretty good here. I don't have a reason to repent because so-and-so is worse than me. You know what happens? The people in the church want to make the shepherds and the pastors of the church, the people who facilitate facilitate the activities of the church to become what the people want. So you got a bunch of people running around concerned about what people are saying because they want to make sure they shepherd the people to get what they want. And the whole thing gets messed up. And it's totally wrong. It's a terrible church to be a part of. A place where people are running around complaining because you don't do what we want you to do. Nobody wants to be in a church like that. But here's the thing, if we see Jesus, then you will be just as concerned about me and the pastors helping you follow Jesus as we are. And when you see us say, well, I'm not sure we should do that, you're going to say, why are you concerned about the fear of man? You should be concerned about the fear of God if you're pastoring us as a faithful shepherd. 
And you begin to encourage me to be more faithful. That's what we need. A people who say, I have seen Jesus and I want to follow him. And we are not concerned about what we want. We are concerned about what Jesus wants. That's the kind of church that changes the world. And I am convinced that's the kind of church we're becoming. There's evidences of it all around. It's been lingering here for years. And God is going to call us as a church family to follow him as we see him. We're going to see Jesus Christ, great warrior king. He's going to bring in a new earth, a new heaven. All sickness is going to be gone. Death is going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. Salvation is going to be done. Redemption is going to be done. It is going to be final and complete. He's going to be the lion of Judah and the king of kings. But I'm going to tell you right now, the only way you will ever experience the mighty reign and rule of Christ in the age to come so that it blesses your life full of enjoyment and life forever is if you first see Jesus Christ as the lamb who was slain. You don't get to experience the goodness of Jesus as King unless you have surrendered to the Lamb of God who is slain for your sin. We're going to come to the communion table right now. And when we come, you should only take communion if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the one who gave his life for your sin, whom you're willing to follow no matter what. Do not take communion if you are not today willing to confess your sins and repent and turn from your wicked ways and follow Jesus Christ fully as king over your life. I'm not telling you you've got to have it all figured out. If one thing Revelation will do is make sure we know we don't have it all figured out. But Jesus does. He's the author. And he's got your path figured out. You need to surrender. You need to surrender.